Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. I just want to start by asking you this question, really. Um, when you think of the church, and not necessarily Trinity, but the church, if someone just mentions the church, what do you think of? And how do you think of the church? Uh, do you think well of the church? Do you think lowly of the church? Because I would imagine that people like in your workplace uh, and when you read the media, you, your mind can be coloured about the perception of what the church actually is. Because as we know, you don't have to be a sociologist to know that our culture does not particularly esteem the church. I was imagining it this week, and I think basically our, our culture views the church like an elderly relative, kind of a bigoted, unwanted elderly relative that the family really hopes will one day die so that we don't have to deal with you anymore. That's kind of how the culture views the church, like they're there, that's great that you still exist, but in a hundred years you probably won't be around. And sometimes when we go about our lives, we, our, there can be so many things that feel very, very important. You know, the, the political scene right now is front page, it's everywhere, it's dramatic, it's, there are things that are going on that seismic at the moment. There's the economic scene, there's the world scene. There are so many things that are big and important, that cost a lot of money. And then there's us, the church. And we're just this small little group in the community centre in London, we're in the middle of nine million people. And this kind of thinking can colour how we think the church. Well, well we're just, a, I don't know, we're like a, a thing on the side of history where... And this can kind of colour who we think we are. I think sometimes as Christians, our heads can drop sometimes. And we can be, I think, in a city like this, intimidated by the culture around us. Who, who are we? Okay, like on Sunday, Sunday morning, that's our moment. Like we, rah, 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 we've got Jesus. And then the rest of the week, we're in this huge, enormous, overwhelming world that thinks very little of the Christian church. And it can begin to paint a picture in our heart and in our mind, and we can begin to treat the church of Jesus in a, in a way that he doesn't view the church himself. And I've been living in 1 Peter 2 for a short while and over summer, and I, I've just been reading this and... Just wondering, why is it that Peter, he talks about the church? Why is it that he tells the church in this day, the, the church of the diaspora at this moment, spread abroad different nations? Why does he talk to them like this? And when you read the Bible, one of the good things to do is just ask why. Why, 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 why? It's a really good question. You just come and read the Bible in the morning. Why is this passage here? Why did this person write this? Just ask and you can... You know, look at your study Bibles and just find clues very quickly that help you. But why is it that Peter writes here about the church and reminds us you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? And I think there is something like this that we experience in our day going on in, in Peter's day. That for Peter they were a, a people who were being oppressed and who were being persecuted for being Christians. 
and that the church was being tried to be pushed out to the margins of society. And it wasn't a good thing to be a Christian at the time. It was a very difficult thing to be a Christian. And you were viewed in many ways as like, antisocial. You were viewed as subversive. You weren't part of the mainstream society of Roman, of Roman culture. So people didn't know how to... And they tried to squash the church. And so Peter, I think, knowing this, that there is a temptation, even in Christians, to kind of like look down slightly on the church because there are bigger, more important things going on, to lift their heads to who God has actually called them to be. So in a society where the Roman citizens and culture were trying to squash the church, Peter says this, you need to know this, you are being persecuted as Christians. You are actually a chosen race. You are not forgotten in history, you are chosen by God. And he says you are a royal priesthood. Imagine the temptation to walk around at this point as one marginalised and forgotten on the outside, the recipient of persecution. And Peter says, no, you're a royal priesthood. You have an exalted status as you walk around your life. He says you are a holy nation. When the Roman culture were trying to throw slander on the church, and in just a short while, Nero was going to blame the church for what was happening in the fiery Rome, Peter says, you have got to understand, you are, whole, you are a set-apart nation before the presence of God. You are a people of his own possession. So he's trying to lift their attention and lift their gaze to grant them a bit more confidence in their walk as a small people group in a big empire. And all I want to do today is really just lift our gaze and, and our thinking about who we are as, as Christians. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to say firstly you're so welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And this is not us trying to pat ourselves on the back and big ourselves up and make ourselves feel better. You know, this, this dying old biddy in the corner just trying to like one last breath before we actually die. This is actually what we believe God speaking to us that we might walk in humble confidence in a culture that is bigger than us at this point. We're not trying to gain anything in this culture. We're trying to understand who we are as God's people. And what I want to do today is just pick out this one moment where Peter calls us a royal priesthood. It's kind of bizarre language because Peter is actually talking to all of us and I know some of us come from church traditions where there is a priest and he tends to wear a gown and often wears a hat or something like that and there is a priest that you go to if you're some church churches you go to a priest for your confessions and what Peter is saying here is that there is not just one priest but everyone who would call themselves a Christian and follow Jesus Christ and is part of the church of Jesus Christ is actually a priest. This is what he says at the beginning of the passage. He says, as you come to him, so as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men and in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices pleasing and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So every single one of us, you say, is a priest. So for some of you, that might be the first initial, like, okay, I've got to get used to the fact that you're now a priest. In the eyes of God and in the eyes of Trinity Church London and his church, you are a priest as you gather if you're a Christian here today. You don't come to receive, you come to participate in the outworking of God's kingdom here in London today. Amen. Amen. And I just want to unpack this and hopefully just leave us with a, a, a renewed level of confidence as we go about our days at work, at home, with family, with whatever we might be doing, this awareness of our identity as a, as a priest. So, I mean, I mean, Micah's at the back here, so hi Micah. It's actually this side, Micah's my son. I'm actually going to talk about him just in a second, so... But being a parent now of Michael who's eight and Kiki who's six, it is quite interesting because you get to like have lots of memories flood back to you. If you've been a parent of young kids, you know what this is. You like you watch your own kids go through things that you did, and suddenly all these memories flood back of like those moments that you lived through when you were eight or six. You know what I mean? And Michael and Kiki and. Kiki in particular, nothing, nothing about girls, you can just chat about this later. But we're, we're parenting her particularly a lot about, you know, who's in the social group and who's not in the social group. You know, anyone know? Like, so-and-so was playing with so-and-so, so I couldn't play with so-and-so. Or, this is my friend today, and now they're not my friend tomorrow. And we're all playing, and you know, you, you know people, are, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's funny when all these memories started flooding back for me at primary school and then even at secondary school. I was thinking like, I don't think much of this behaviour has actually gone away too much because I remember at secondary school, you know, like a mature, strong, strapping, 13, 14 year old lad who had the world under control and knew exactly what was going on. And I, and I distinctly have this memory and many other memories of seeing two of my friends going to lunch without me and thinking, oh, I'm not in the inner circle of that friendship. I thought we were a thing. And like, okay, I'm, I'm aware I'm part of that friendship group, but I'm like maybe kind of on the edge of the circle. So they accept me, but I'm not in. Anyone have that feeling? They're like, um, are they, they like having me around, but there's this like invisible inner circle where people who really belong are part of that. You know what I mean? And so much at school, all these memories are flooding back for me of like these memories of insecurity and looking around and thinking I'm not, I'm like, I think people like me generally, unless everyone was lying really badly, which is quite possible. But this insecurity of like, I'm not really inside any group. Manny smiled. <laughs> I think this is an insecurity that a lot of us carry on into like adulthood. And I think London actually exacerbates this feeling. Because in London, what do you have? You have all like the centres, the inner circles of kind of everything you can think about. You have Westminster down the road, the inner circle of power. Or whoever's in power or not in power, no comments being made on that one. <laughs> or you have the financial district and the wealth, and there's always people who have money think 
they're those on the inside. They're the, they can do stuff, whatever they want, when they want. They can do stuff because they've got the money to do whatever they like. They're in the inner, inner circle. I think if people kind of move to London, I think there's always this, you know, people swear, when can I call myself a Londoner? Am I a Londoner now? Am I part of the inner thing that's happening? And we can have that kind of insecurity. Well, I haven't, haven't bought my, I'm still renting, so I'm not quite in, but maybe one day I'll be able to know, then I'll feel like I'm in the, this invisible inner circle. And, my, and I feel this. I was born, bred here, and I still have this feeling of like sometimes, like, am I just a permanent tourist in my own home? You ever have that feeling like, like I love London still. I walk around, like I still feel like, kind of like, am I in this city or am I just like, still amazed that like Big Ben still drive past like whoa Big Ben's there (laughs) there's this invisible thing that am I resonating with anybody like you feel okay I I, I think many of us experience this and there are two things I think we tend to do with it the first thing we tend to do with it is that we do everything we can in our power we fight to try and get in that invisible circle like, we, we, we do whatever is necessary. If we think the invisible circle is wealth, like, I will give myself two decades of work and I will get all the money that I can accumulate so I can be part of that crowd that sits on that street in that restaurant and seems to laugh and meet each other. That little click, I want to be in there. Or some political thing, or it might be something at work. If I can get to that strata, be partner there, then I'll feel like I'm on the inside of whatever's happening and not on, always on the outside watching in. We just, we, we work, we work, we try whatever we can. I need to get into that thing that our heart feels we need to be inside. And the other thing that we do, I think, sometimes at the same time, but others, we react in different ways for different people. The other thing we do is we actually just run away from it. Like we're aware there's an inner creek somewhere that we're not really part of, and so we basically choose to look down on them with distaste and kind of speak badly about them and in our hearts mock them and disparage them and go the other way. Secretly wishing we were actually part of it or we could create our own inner circle, but this current inner circle we do not like and there's many reasons why that should not be happening. Some people live very sensitive to cliques and they react all the time, which in itself is not a good thing because you're still at the mercy of other people. You're always reacting to other people. You're not cutting your own path clearly without other people's influence. You're either running towards something or you're reacting. So you, you get what I mean. I want to say neither of these are helpful. And the reason why we feel that there, there is some kind of inner thing that we really want to be part of one day is because there actually isn't in a circle that we were not part of. That there is actually something that we were shut out of. The very reason that we feel like there is some invisible thing there that we want to be part of is because there is. But it's just not at a horizontal societal people level. It's not because so-and-so is not playing with me today or I'm not being in this group. It's actually because there is a disruption in the relationship vertically between God the Creator, the Holy God, and us as his people. That there has actually been a separation that has happened between us. And this is exactly what the Bible tells us. Because the Bible starts with this moment in history 
when we walk away from God and we walk and we defile our own life and the culture around us. And as we choose to walk away from God, what happens is that the door to Eden, to God's presence, actually slams shut behind us. We're told that God sets up cherubim with flaming swords so that we may not go back into the presence of God because God is holy and we are unholy. He is pure and we are defiled and the two cannot mix. So the reason that we feel like there is an inner circle that we can't quite touch is because this actually happened to us. It's not a mirage. It's just not at a societal level. It's at a God level. The good news is this, is that God actually does pursue us and he comes and he chases us down in the wilderness when we walk away thinking there's an oasis over here and only to find that it doesn't exist God chases us down and we're told in the Old Testament that he sets up camp with us he chooses to come into our, into our presence and he sets up this tabernacle where he says I'm going to place my presence there with you the inner circle of the universe is going to gather with you so that you may get access to me and you may still be connected to me, even though you have defiled yourself. And this happened through to the temple. And so what God did is he set up this system where there are these outer courts and then there is this inner court and then in the inner court there is a holy of holies, a place where God would dwell. And he set up these priests of the line of Levites. So there were 12 tribes of Israel and there was one tribe chosen, the Levites. And these were set apart to be priests who had access to the inner circle of God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who could mediate for humanity between God and us. They said, I have access to God and I have access to people. And Levites had this. And so they stood, as it were, in between God, access to the heavenly realm, access to the earthly realm, representing us. God wanting to forge a connection back so that we may join again and join this inner circle of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The thing is with these Levites is that they, it wasn't anyone who could just get, you can't just come into the presence of God, well, with sin. Almost every religion recognises this fact. It's not unique to Christianity. You can't just come to God like, hey, yeah, hey, Jesus, I'm here. Should we have a chat? You can't do that. You've got to do stuff. And so in Leviticus 16, we're told there is this whole process, this symbolic process that has to happen where one priest, once a year, would be allowed to go through a very careful set of instructions, a very careful set of washing and sacrifices, new clothes, etc. And then, once a year only, get access into the inner circle of the universe and meet with God and his presence in the Holy of Holies. Once a year. And what we're told is that this moment where this priest would go in once a year was actually symbolic of what would happen when our proper high priest, Jesus Christ, came and actually made a way for you and I not to have access into the inner circle of life, but to actually live there and to dwell there. Amen. Jesus came as a priest, told in the line of Melchizedek. And we're told that he was baptised in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, which is an odd thing for a man who is sinless to be baptised, isn't it? Why is Jesus baptised? And theologians think that this is very much 
his uh, ordination into priesthood. But actually, as he comes into this moment, he takes on, he gathers on himself, not on an animal, on himself, the sins of humanity. That he takes on the mantle of priesthood so that he could represent us in his ministry to God the Father. And he takes this ministry of priesthood through his life and through his ministry and he walks deliberately setting his face to Jerusalem to be the high priest at that point where he may offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people and be the one who may open up an access into the inner circle of the universe. But when Jesus Christ comes, he doesn't come offering up a goat or a bull, but what we're told is that he comes offering up his own body, the only man who has lived a perfect and sinless and spotless life, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, with hands that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing us an eternal redemption. And as Christ offers himself and he gets crucified on this cross outside of the temple courts, he is the acceptable and final sacrifice, the priest that carries nothing but himself, so that he may puncture a way into the presence of God, where he still now is. So the writer of the Hebrews says this. Now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So you've got to get this. There is the Lord exalted in the inner of the innermost circles that there ever could be. At the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus Christ now there, he turns to us. Having punctured this way into access into God's presence. And he holds out his hand to every single one of us and said, Would you now follow me into the presence of God? And would you join me at the right hand? Of God the Father. There is this moment in Revelation 3 where we're told that Jesus offers us, you and me, whether you're a Christian here or not, he offers us to sit with him on his own throne. Have you ever thought about that? So there's Jesus Christ at the very centre of all of human history and non-human history, at the centre of the heavenly realms and of the earthly realms and everything else that exists. Jesus Christ is at the centre of everything and the invitation when you become a Christian is not, hey, we'd love you to get to church more often, that'd be really good. It's not, hey, if you could stop swearing and be better at work, that'd be really wonderful. Jesus would be so proud of you. The invitation when you become a Christian is to come and sit next to Christ on his own throne so that you can walk up to Christ, turn around with him, sit down and from his perspective look at all of human history. Is that an amazing thought? I mean, 
I don't know, how does that even work? Because the invitation has gone out to you as well as to me, so there's a lot of bum shuffling as we all figure out like who's sitting where on Christ's throne, the seat of power at the centre of all things. And that is where we as Christians live, in the inner circle. So the reason why we feel that sometimes, just and it sometimes gets just exacerbated, is because there is one, and we need to know that we are secure in God's presence, and that you have been called as a priest, that you now have access to God. And because Jesus Christ has already made the final sacrifice, there is nothing you and I have to do to come and talk to God. So any other philosophy, any other religion will say you have to go through something, even get into a certain state. You have to calm yourself down. You have to get meditative. You have to go you have to do some washings. You have to go through some prayers. And then maybe you may offer your prayers and your worship to God. But we as Christians have something very different. You can be sitting on the Bakerloo line going to work, sweaty, horrible, feeling grumpy, and you can look to God and you can call on almighty power to be rendered in your workplace. Just like that. Because you are already in the inner circle because of Christ's work. Amen. You can turn to him at any point. You can come to church feeling moral or immoral, sinful or defiled. And you can come to him on the basis of Christ's work, not your performance. And you can come into his presence and give him worship and serve your role as a priest before him and minister to him and make the Lord's heart glad on Christ's This is really good news, so I'm glad you're clapping. The question I, I want to just pose to us as we close is, is like, are, we, are we going to live out our priestly function? Because this is an exalted status. If you had told the Israelites, hey, do you know what? It's not just the Levites now. Everyone can be a priest. Do you know that? We, we, we can go and serve in the temple. They wouldn't have believed you. Because you had to be from a certain line. But now we come from the line of well, you've got to be certain more certain. No, no. Jesus is our high priest and he has called us to be a priesthood with him. We are now exalted. We're with the royal priesthood. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It if, if I said to you, hey, um, so what happened is last week, um, you know, I, I actually got adopted into this family. I, it's, it's amazing. It's really good news. Um, they live in the Middle East. Uh, they come from wealth, quite a lot of wealth actually, but they've, they've actually said I could be adopted into their family, it's, it's amazing. They're actually, they're actually the royal family, I don't know, it's, it's, really, it, it's really good news for me. They're royal family, so not only do they have all the wealth, but they actually control all things around the Middle East, it's, like, it's, it's pretty cool. And they also happen to be the priests who actually mediate between Creator God and all of humanity, so actually as I'm adopted into their family, I, I've now got this, this, I'm actually quite important because I'm royal and I'm a priest and I'm going to pray for your soul and 
You'd be like, oh, what do you want, that? Like, that sounds a bit weird. But spiritually so, it is that much more. And we walk around with that kind of status before God. And so there are, there are functions and roles for us to fulfill. It would be odd, wouldn't it, to be given an adopted status into this royal and priestly family and be like, hey, I, that looks all amazing, but now nah, I'll leave that. I'm just going to get back to my Netflix series because I've got a much smaller life I'd really rather live. Yeah, I, I would really rather minimise my life and live a life that doesn't particularly count for much. Uh, yeah, that's what I really want to go for. But actually, this offer of significance is on the table for us. Really walking the status, the identity that you have as royal priests. There are many things that, that this entails. Let me just read a few for us, just to stir us and provoke us. What does it mean for us to make sacrifices? Because this is what Peter says. He says this, he says, you yourselves are, being, are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. So we don't offer sacrifices as Christians now to gain access into the inner circle. We actually offer sacrifices because we are already in the inner circle. It is through Jesus Christ. And because I am accepted, because there's nothing more for me to do, then I freely give everything up for Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Romans 12 that one of the primary things that we do as a sacrifice as God's priests is that we offer up our own bodies, ourselves. Everything that we are, my hands, my feet, my, my words, my mind, everything I am, I say, Lord, this is all now available to you. Use me as you wish, as a mediator between you and this city and the nations. So for Lord, I'm available. Anything that you desire is for you. And then we find out other things, that we are called to pray. That praying is one of the, the chief functions of the priest. Tom next week is going to be preaching about Christ, who to this day is praying for you and I. And that our prayers, as we pray, they are like incense, we're told, going up into the courts of heaven, that we intercede on behalf of others. We have a privilege that no one else does. To stand in the gap between God and humanity, to call down his blessings, to be priests wherever we go. That we worship. In Hebrews we're told that to worship the Lord, to give thanks to him, is part of our uh, priestly role. So let me just read this, Hebrews 13. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Love the Lord with your lips. To be a priest is not to be a mumbler. To be a priest of God is to be one who declares the glory and the worth of God with our lips. We're to give financially as part of our priestly role. He says in the very next verse, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Once I'm in the inner circle with God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I'm freed up from trying to get somewhere because I'm already here. I have already arrived in God's presence. So at this point, I am now free to open up my hands and to look at my stuff and think, okay, how can I use this to serve others so that they might be blessed and might 
be drawn into this place of fellowship as well. It's a happy place to be. Let me close with this last one, Romans 15. Paul says that part of our priestly function is actually to share the good news with others. So he says this, he says, on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace in me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So how do you operate as a priest in the workplace? You pray, Lord, would you give me opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that I meet? It might be just one part of the good news. May I have an opportunity to serve you as a priest in this moment. So we have an exalted status, church, amen? amen? It's really good news. And I'm praying that our chins are lifted as we go into this room that we operate in more of the fullness of the role that we have as priests, that we walk in confidence that God has called us to this, and that those people around you need you to be operating fully as a priest for their goods, whether they know it or not, so that the Lord may be glorified. Amen.